0: and peace be yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In 1949, there was a 12-year-old boy living in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., Mount Rainier, Maryland, who was in a difficult situation. See, for some reason or another, and I've heard various reasons, he was behaving rather strangely. Objects, reportedly moved around the room with invisible assistance. The bed in which he was sleeping shook violently. He spoke in languages he'd never learned. He seemed to levitate off the bed at times. He had knowledge of things that weren't told to him and would have been impossible for him to have known. His local pastor came to the conclusion that he was demon-possessed. And the boy's family was Lutheran. Their pastor did not know how to handle the situation, and eventually the boy and his family made their way to St. Louis, allegedly after markings appeared in the skin on the boy's chest, which read, Go to St. Louis, where the Jesuit faculty at St. Louis University eventually performed a successful exorcism at the now-closed and demolished Alexian Brothers Hospital. But before it was in ex- Roman Catholic hands, the first attempt at exorcism was made by then president of Concordia Seminary, Dr. Louis Seek, and Reverend Alfred Durfler, pastor of Pilgrim Lutheran Church in St. Louis. Their meetings with the boy were probably limited to two times in a matter of just a couple of weeks. And soon, the family brought him to the Jesuits for help, who were successful in in their exorcism of the demon from the boy. This case became known to a young Roman Catholic seminarian named William Peter Blatty, who later developed this into the novel The Exorcist, of which the 1973 movie is an adaptation. A few years ago in St. Louis, Amy and I saw the original cross that was above the door of the Alexian Brothers Hospital, and even that was enough to send shivers down my spine. Though elements of the movie are embellished with Hollywood pizzazz, the story of The Exorcist is as tr- true, as difficult as that might be to hear. This year we are working, by and large, working our way through the Gospel of Mark. And if you were to read the Gospel of Mark in one sitting, you'd soon realize that exorcism and demonic possession come up a lot, like a shocking amount of mentions. We're working in chapter 9, and this is the 11th occasion where demons and exorcism are mentioned in Mark's gospel. Not just the 11th verse, the 11th occasion. Part of the authority granted to the 12 in their calling was authority to cast out unclean spirits. And they continue to do so even after Jesus' ascension throughout the entire book of Acts. Furthermore, Jesus refers to his own death and resurrection as an exorcism of the entire world. He says, now is the judgment of the world. Now is the prince of this world cast out. In John chapter 12, verse 31. And he says this just before heading To the cross. Now, I don't share this information with you just to scare you, although it is rather scary at times. The point is this evil, Satan, and demons are very real things. They are very powerful things. In fact, too powerful for us to deal with on our own. But Christ has the authority over all of it. And is far stronger than any evil thing. One of the devil's greatest tricks in the modern age has been convincing people, even Christians, that he doesn't exist. We think we are far too civilized for such things. Being so very modern, after all, and that mumbo-jumbo about demons being so very medieval. But that doesn't make it any less real. Trust me, it's real. It doesn't mean that Jesus can't overcome this as well. Our passage for this morning skips forward a bit from last week. In between, a couple of significant things happened in Mark's gospel. Jesus appears to Peter, James, and John in a transfigured, glorious state. They see a glimpse of him in his glory. We read this in February. That's why we're not reading it now. We call this the transfiguration. Peter also had confessed Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, on behalf of the twelve. And Jesus gave the first of three predictions of his death and resurrection. So when Jesus and the three disciples who were with him joined back up with the group, there's quite a commotion going on. He asked what they're arguing with the scribes about, and the man answers plainly, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. This father was absolutely desperate for help. And the disciples couldn't really help. It's not as if they hadn't cast out demons before. In chapter 6, Mark records Jesus sending them out two by two to preach and to cast out demons, and they did. But this case was different. Why wasn't it working? Jesus almost seems a little bit frustrated at this point. How long am I to be with you, O faithless generation? Don't they understand it yet? Were they trying in their own power and not with God's power? Instead of with his power and with his authority? He tells them to bring the boy to him. And when they brought him, the demon immediately started acting out again, sending the boy into convulsions and foaming at the mouth and here is a glimpse of why we call Jesus the great physician because he asks a good question how long has this been happening too long in his father's opinion this has been happening since childhood imagine the gray hairs that had already accumulated on this father's head This simply wasn't an inconvenience. The devil is always destructive. And this demon had tried killing this child all along by throwing him into the fire or into the water. Can you imagine how this poor father felt for all of these years? Protecting children is one of any father's greatest concerns. As fathers, we feel guilty when our children feel pain even when it isn't our fault. This boy's father had no pretense or pride left in him. He wasn't there to negotiate with Jesus. He was there to beg with no shame whatsoever. They say beggars can't be choosers and this father would do whatever it takes to get something to help his boy. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus jumps all over that statement. If you can, if you can, that's not even the right question. Of course, Jesus can. The real question is, if you will. Jesus says, all things are possible for one who believes. And the man gives one of the greatest confessions of faith one of the most honest by far, ever recorded. It's gutsy. It's brutally honest. I believe. Help my unbelief. There is no pretense or pride here whatsoever. He has faith, even if it's weak faith. This teeny tiny morsel of faith is all that it takes to receive all of God's power and promises. And Jesus immediately casts the demon out of the boy without any further discussion. Now today, there are all sorts of preachers out there who will sell you a truckload of manure about how if you have enough faith and all sorts of All sorts of prosperity and blessings and healings and miracles will come your way. These so-called faith healers and prosperity preachers tie everything in God's promises back to the strength of your own faith. These charlatans, who somehow ended up with defecation locations in place of where their mouths should be, let the hearer understand, spew all sorts of nonsense about how everything that you want can be yours if you just do more, try harder, and believe hard enough. And when it doesn't work out, the problem isn't that it wasn't God's will, but the problem is that you don't have enough faith. Talk about adding insult to injury. Not only are you, the hearer, still sick, poor, or miserable after this, but now the snake oil salesman has the gall to tell you that you don't have any faith either. And the logical conclusion from there is that without faith, you obviously don't have the Holy Spirit, and you're going to hell. No wonder people are walking away from what they suppose to be Christianity when it's really something else. No. In fact, it's not about the strength of your faith at all. It's about the power of God and the promises of God. The tiniest sliver of faith receives it all. No arguments, no, nor negotiating. I love and appreciate this unnamed brother in Mark 9. Jesus' response could have been snuffed, could have snuffed out whatever little faith he had left. But he was so desperate that he was willing to bet it all on Jesus' compassion and power. This was the only hope. He could not afford not to believe. And When Jesus rebukes the unclean spirit, it looks as if the boy is dead. Mark says it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So most of them said, he is dead. It often seems that way too when the devil is cast out. We die to sin. We are buried with Christ and crucified with him, and yet we rise to newness of life in him. That's what happened with the boy, and that's what happens with us. Getting the evil out is one thing, but rising to new life is another. Without Jesus taking us by the hand and raising us up, we would just stay that way, dead. I think a lot of us can identify with the Father in this story, even if you're not a parent. Our faith often wavers under duress. They say when the going gets tough, the tough get going, but sometimes so does our faith. After praying for answers, we sometimes feel like we might just give up out of pure exhaustion. We feel helpless. And sometimes, actually, probably a lot of the time, we actually are helpless. But Jesus is steadfast, even when he is stern with us. When our prayers sound like, if you can, he reminds us that can should probably be will. We don't always get the answers that we want, but we continue to pray the words of faith, thy will be done, and I believe, help thou my unbelief. Maybe there's not immediate relief, maybe there is. Either way, it is not because of the strength of our faith, but because of the strength of his word. That word that refuses to give up on you or ever let you go. If you can, of course he can. And he did. in his dying and his rising for you In his ministry, miracles, and teaching, in his sending out of messengers, in his his institution of the holy sacraments, he still gives you every single thing that you need for now and for everlasting life. Amen. And now may the peace of our God, which surpasses all of our understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you please rise and confess your Christian faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed? I believe in God the Father Almighty. Creator of heaven.